Welcome to week five of Trinity Women's Bible Study on Hebrews. Uh, today we're talking about Hebrews chapter eight, the new covenant. Um, last week we dove into the whole ceremonial system of the Old Testament um, back in the day of Moses when they started it. And so we're going to keep on operating out of that um, as we talk about how Jesus is a high priest. So last week we talked about how he is like Melchizedek more than like the Aaronic priests. And so this week we're going to see how Jesus makes that old system, the old covenant, obsolete. So let's talk about that. First of all, I'm just going to read the first six or seven verses of Hebrews 8. Um, let's see, uh, we'll start, let me pray first though. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I ask that we would learn from it. You would change us by reading it and considering it and applying it to our lives. I pray that would happen now, um, even on podcasts and videos and delayed delivery of this talk. In Christ's name, amen. Um, Hebrews 8, now the point and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So let's just pause right there. And I just want to definitely give credit to Michael Kruger, who is the president of our Reform Theological Seminary, because I saw him capture this first little paragraph so well that I'm just going to deliver it as he did. But basically what he said was that we have a lot of betters going on here. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better location. We have a better result. And we Better, this is me, I think I added this, better not add to it. <laughs> so first of all, Christ gives the better sacrifice because he offers his own blood, which we said last week was better than any animal. It's, the, it's a righteous life. It's, it's someone who's done no wrong, and he offered his own blood. Because what we learn in all this system is blood was always a part of the sacrifices. Blood meant life. Um, it cleansed things. It purified things. It also paid, paid for sins. Um, so Christ offers a better sacrifice, but it's also taking place somewhere not on earth. Um, the location is in heaven. You know, Jesus, if he were on earth, could not have been a high priest according to the Mosaic law because he wasn't of the tribe of Levi. But he took his perfect sacrifice because he was more like Melchizedek. He, he was, um, and because God himself had made him a high priest by an oath, he could deliver that sacrifice. But where he took it, he died on the cross and he took his blood to the throne room of heaven to the real tabernacle, to the real place where God lives, because he says there's a real tent existing. That's where Jesus went with the sacrifice. 
the tent we see that they saw in Moses' day and the temple that they saw later, that, that was a copy of what's really there. Um, I remember my daddy, when I was little, he worked forever on this teeny tiny little model of a giant ship. And it had teeny tiny little cannon holes and things like, it gives me a headache to think about. Like that's what he did, built a model, I don't even know what kind you call it, it had sails and it had, I just remember it had things to shoot cannons out of with little bitty windows. So anyway, obviously that boat was not about to go fight a war, right? but it was a, a replica of one that would, that existed somewhere else. And they just took it and made it to where my dad could make it according to this plan. Well, Moses did that. What was real and in heaven, there was a copy of it. There was a, a replica. There was something that they could understand that they had to build exactly the way God told them to because it represented something so important. So it's a better location um, because what they have been doing is they've just been doing a copy of the real thing or a replica. Also, there's a hugely better result. And I don't know if we would have really understood the meaning of when he says in verse 1 that this high priest is one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So not only is Jesus doing this in heaven, like in the throne room, the throne room, okay? He sat. He sat down. Now, if you know about priests, guess what? They didn't have any chairs in the tabernacle. Because why? Nobody was sitting down, ever. As a matter of fact, they constantly had to stand because the work was never done. That was the whole point. You only sit down when you're finished. I don't know about you, but when I'm cooking dinner and maybe I'm kind of ahead of the game and there's a chance of where like everything's in the oven or everything's at that place, maybe I've set the table, and I just want to sit down for a second before I have to do the rest because I'm finished preparing it. I'm done. Or maybe it's after you run a race or maybe after a huge project at work and you just, there's nothing like that feeling of coming home and just sitting down because your work is finished. Jesus' work is finished. The, the fact that he said he's seated means it's a done deal. There's no more sacrifice in heaven to happen because the debt has been taken care of. So it's a better result. John 19:30 says that Jesus said on the cross right as, right after he died, I mean right before he died, he goes, "It is finished. Done." And he sat down. So, one of the things I want us to remember because the original readers needed to know this too. You better not add anything to that kind of work. <laughs> There's nothing that needs to happen now. Sometimes I get a little um, what's the word, probably ticked off, <laughs> that um, if I prepare a meal for my family and someone puts salt on it before they taste it, like that's kind of a thing. I'm like, you know, you should taste it before you add salt because it may just be perfect, okay? Um, why would you, why, no one's going to add salt to this meal. This meal is perfectly cooked and flavored because Jesus himself did it. So if you come in with, let me add a little bit of good work. Oh, let me add a little bit of good luck charms. Oh, let me add a little bit of this or that. Let me, I need to do this to make sure it sticks. That's pretty offensive to Jesus, don't you think? Um, anything um, that we would add to this work, this kind of payment, this kind of amazing salvation is just blasphemous. Um, and you have to understand that I don't know if this was happening for them, 
But the fact that they had to leave this ceremonial law behind meant they were leaving a lot of their traditions behind. And I, I want you just to put yourself in their shoes. You know, if you grew up a good Jewish girl and you became a Christian and then somebody all of a sudden said, hey, you don't need to go and make sacrifices anymore. You'd be like, like you'd be having sweats on, on the Saturday that you weren't doing what you're supposed to do because you were such a habit for you. It's such communicated your family of faith and what you had to do. So this is a huge thing. I mean, the closest thing I can come up with is somebody said, hey, by the way, we're not celebrating Christmas anymore. And you're going, okay, but December 25th still feels weird not to do a tree or um, why can't I sing those songs anymore? Does it mean I can't sing those songs anymore? Does it mean that um, all those memories and all the things we did together that I bonded with with my family and neighborhood, like it's just a lot of change for them. And so that's why the writer is going over and over and over the point of all that stuff that you, we did was great, but it's not where we we're supposed to stay. There's a baby. Again, let's go back to the sonogram metaphor. Nobody is wanting to see your sonograms. We want to hold the baby now. The baby came. Nobody's going to the doctor's office to look at the VHS tapes of, well, they don't do that anymore, but the 3D or 4D images of the baby because we got the baby and you can go hold him. Okay, so this is a lot for them to grasp and the writer's pushing them of why they should grasp it. It's so much better. And um, anything they did in addition to Jesus' sacrifice would just be awful. It would be really offensive to Jesus himself because you're questioning, was he enough? Was God enough? Also, Jesus is called the guarantor or the mediator of this better covenant. Um, and it's based on better promises. So let's look a little bit more at this idea of what's the old covenant? What's this new covenant? What's this mean that he's a guarantor of it, a mediator of it? Um, so let's look at that. And so let's continue reading in Hebrews 8. Let's pick up, um, uh, we'll reread verse 7 and keep on going. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. So I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay, let's back up and let's look at what does he mean by the old covenant because he's saying it's obsolete. Um, first of all, if you remember from last week, we talked about the idea of the Mosaic covenant. You remember, if you back up even more, the whole Bible is one story about how God wants to undo what happened to the Garden of Eden. And he told Adam and Eve in that first glimpse of the covenant, your seed will crush Satan's seed. And, 
and you knew there was going to be a way for this relationship to come back together. And then we see Noah, how God talks to him, and then we really see it come out in Abraham when he met with Abraham and said, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to make your descendants like so many. He was had no children, his wife was old, there was no way that was going to happen except God did make it happen. And his little family of three grew to this huge family of 70 that went to Egypt and then God rescued 400 years later under Moses. Now they're a huge people and there's this next stage of this covenant, it's called the Mosaic Covenant and this is what Moses gave to the people. So again, think second trimester, okay, there's this this baby is coming. This is still the same baby. It's just it's a different stage of development, so to speak. And we see how the people react to this offer of covenant. This, this included this basically this ceremonial law, like ceremonies of how we're going to worship God now that we're a people. Um, this moral law, the Ten Commandments, um, how we're to act if we're His people, the social laws, the civil laws, how we're supposed to be a people, and, and we're supposed to stand out from all these other people in the country around us. Like, we're unique, we're holy, we're different, and this is how God wanted His people to be, okay? So if you look at Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8, you see that they're hearing all this and God has given them these words and these laws and this, the big L law. Um, and um, anyway, it, they, they accept it. And let's see in verse, let's read, uh, starting with verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Okay, so in this skip on down, and then they say, uh, verse 7, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Okay, so you see that they made an agreement with God. God said, here's how I want you to act. Now, this isn't a you do this and then I'll love you. He's already loved them. He's already rescued them out of Egypt. This, they're saved. They're his, they're his. And he's saying, okay, here's how we do life together. Here's what my people look like. And they said, we will do it. Okay? That is the problem, <laughs> is that they couldn't do it. And you see over and over and over in the rest of the Bible, I mean, we saw a lot of it in Genesis, didn't we, of these are the people God's saving? Like, why did he pick him? I mean, Jacob was a trickster. I mean, look at this mess of a family. Jacob's 12 sons were crazy. Um, they're selling each other. I mean, it's just a mess. Well, that didn't really change because their hearts were the same. And so you have this, this idea, and the writer says it's not the law that's the problem, though. It wasn't the law that was broken and faultless. It was that the people couldn't live up to the law. Um, you see this in other places, um, but the law was given by God, so it didn't have a fault, okay? And, you know, Galatians 3, 24, 25, somewhere in there says the law is our tutor. The law was necessary for us to even know we had a problem of sin. 
Um, you hear Paul talk about like, I didn't covet until I heard the law, do not covet. Now I covet. It's almost like, don't think about a pick elephant. Ah, you know, the problem is our heart. We can't obey the law. Um, and think about, just think about the idea though of this, the ceremonial system. You know, there was this, uh, like for instance, there was the day of atonement. And this is one day a year where the high priest went in to pay like the sacrifice for all the sins of all the people, okay? Well, think about a week before the Day of Atonement. Do you think you would have been more likely to cheat on your taxes then? Do you think you would have been like, oh, who cares? I'm, I don't have to carry this sin around with me for a while because next week's Day of Atonement. I mean, you can see how corrupt people, I mean, we do it all the time. And I mean, look at our Mardi Gras. I mean, that's a whole day, a whole season of let's get all the sin in we can before Lent starts. I mean, is that kind of, that's what we do with law, okay? We make it ex- just like it's just a checklist and can we cheat the system? But that's not the law's fault. That's our fault. The law also teaches us about the character of God. So the law is good. It's the law keepers that are not. And so obviously this was not going to work long term. Um, You know, there were so many times that God said, you're not living up to your covenant responsibility. You're not obeying my laws. You're leaving me over and over. We see it throughout the judges. We see it throughout the kings. The prophets are constantly going, come back, return. God would send famine. God would send enemies to to kind of discipline them back. Finally, finally, the whole northern half of the people got taken off into captivity. You're left with a little little two-tribe country of Judah. And then finally, they were taken into captivity for 70 years as a please come back to me wake-up call, okay? So you have to understand just that the merciful, long patience of God, but bottom line, these people could not keep the covenant law. They could not do it. And what's interesting is that's the Hebrews writer quotes Jeremiah 31. And I'm not going to read it because he basically reads it to us in Hebrews 8. And basically the context for Jeremiah saying this originally was when God's people were in captivity or about to come back. It was, it was in that time of, is this ever going to get better? And God himself says, look, we're doing something different. It's the same baby but you're going to be able to hold it. The, the, the pregnancy, this, is, this, is, this pregnancy is never supposed to stay pregnant the whole time. There is this new covenant coming where you're going to actually obey me. You're going to actually have no guilt. This is going to be so much better because I'm going to save you from yourselves. Um, this, this, um, there's so many ways God really wanted their relationship. And we see in some of the prophets and especially in the Psalms and you know, you hear this, you know, God really wants your heart. He really wants you to obey from the heart, not just have, check off these sacrifices. But it is, it is now obsolete. This old system is now obsolete because Jeremiah comes on the scene and says, this is not gonna work. And we're, I've got a, a new covenant. So we're going to forget this old. The old one's going to go away because there's a new one I'm going to give you. And what is that? Um, he's going to give them a new heart. And the minute Jeremiah says all this, all this stuff we've read about, I'm going to put my laws on your minds and write them on your hearts. And, you, you know, everybody's going to know me, not just the 
top tier people. I mean, it's going to be crazy wonderful. And the minute he sees this, one of the commentators said, the minute Jeremiah 31 comes on the scene, all of a sudden you see the old system starting to get gray hair. It's, it's really immediately obsolete because you know there's a new one coming. Just like if you have the iPhone or whatever and the new one comes out and you get an automatic upgrade, I mean, you're just, you're just waiting to get it. Your eyes are on that. You're, you're going, there's going to be an upgrade. There's going to be something so much better. And so Jeremiah starts the aging process. And really when the temple came down in 70 AD, that was the funeral. There are no more sacrifices happening. You know, Romans 8, 3 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, that's us, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jeremiah is right, the writer of Hebrews is right, and he's saying there is new, and new is better. And this is what God was picturing way back in Genesis 3. He was picturing his son, Jesus, the seed of Eve, to crush Satan's head. That was the real thing. And everything else has been given us pictures of that. And we've seen types of that. And we've seen shadows cast of that. But now this writer saying, it's here. It happened. This is who Jesus is. All of that is being fulfilled in this person. So it's the same covenant applied in such a better way. We experience it more fully. I don't know about you, but I love hot water. I love hot water. I love to bathe in hot water. I love hot showers. And the incredible, wonderful thing about living in the 20th century is to have hot water. All I have to do is turn a little dial in my shower or turn a handle in my tub. I'm like, thank you that I have indoor plumbing. I love indoor plumbing, okay? Now, if I had been born in the 1800s or the 200s, I'm sure that I would have had hot water to bathe, right? But think about how much trouble it would have been. I would have had to drag buckets of water from the creek, or I would have had to heat them up on a stove, or I would have had to like, like, is it, no wonder that I bathed once a week. It was so much trouble. It was just a lot. I still would have bathed in hot water, but just the experience of it would not be what I experience now, which is with bubble bath and it's relaxing and it's easy to have a bubble bath. That's probably a terrible metaphor, but that is what's happening is that the experience of this relationship has gone from a leaky hose to a full fire hydrant hose. It is, I mean, it's just incredible the difference of experience um so many things so the old covenant was physical but this new one is internal and spiritual it is so much better because instead of circumcising males like they did in the under the old laws now god says i'm going to circumcise your heart and instead of israel being gone and judah being over here gone and just the original people of god being divided he's saying i'm going to have israel and judah This means it's going to be combined. This is going to be something so new and radical and wonderful. And we see later, like in other passages, Paul talks about how the people of God is not just the physical descent of Abraham, but the faith, the faith descent of Abraham. His seed are the people who believe. That includes Gentiles and people outside the Jewish line. So it's so much bigger and better. 
Now you have to understand, remember the three little L's, the ceremonial law, the writer of Hebrews is saying, scratch it. It's been, this, the shadows are gone. Throw away the sonogram pictures. We're looking at the baby now. The civil law has been long gone because they're not a country anymore. They've been, they're not there. I mean, these Christians, these Jewish Christians are probably in Rome. They're, they're not in charge of the government. So the civil and ceremonial laws are being taken away. The moral law still stands. And we see Jesus expound. As a matter of fact, the moral law gets almost bigger in a sense because he explains it more. And now it's not just about do this, do that. It's like about your heart in the moral law. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, he explains that do not murder means more than actually killing someone. It means don't be angry in your heart. Uh, Adultery doesn't mean you just had an illicit affair. It means you lusted after someone. I mean, if anything, the moral law is expanded. Um, And so think about the law changing that way. Um, You know, in a way, this sounds crazy, but in a way, I wonder if some of these preferred the old way. Was it easier just to take a sheep down and get it sacrificed than have to deal with your heart? Did they prefer the smells and bells of the old system, smelling the sacrifices, the fat on the fire, hearing the songs, and and just all the trappings of that religion were comforting and were, you know, they were used to them and it made them feel safe probably. And did they miss it? And was it just easier? Was it easier to kind of be Jewish than to really, to be heart, your heart follow Jesus? Um, we see this, um, a couple of examples of this in the Old Testament. And one I just want to bring up because it's such a great example um, is of Saul in um, 1 Samuel 13. Um, Saul is the king and uh, he has been told to go up against the Amalekites. And when they defeat them, they're supposed to kill everything. So Samuel, who's the prophet who anointed Saul to be king and has been really sad because God's told Samuel, Saul is not following me. I'm going to take it away from him. And it just makes Samuel so sad. So the next day he goes to see Saul and lo and behold, he's defeated this city, but he has the king still alive. And Samuel goes, "Uh, what's the noise of sheep in my ear? Like you're supposed to kill everybody everything. That was what God told you to do. And Saul has his great excuse. Oh, but we saved the best so we could sacrifice it. Uh, you know, all that stuff. He just had an answer for it. And it was a disaster because Samuel says to him, to obey is better than sacrifice. God, don't make up your own rules for God. Obey his rules. And when he says to do something, obedience. He would rather have that than the best sacrifice you can come up with. You know, King David in a psalm of repentance in Psalm 51 verse 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So like in any relationship, what God has really wanted with his people is a heart relationship, not an external one. I want my husband to love me and to be honest in that, not just do, you know, well, check Valentine's Day, check anniversary. I sent the 12 roses. I'm done. I've fulfilled my duty. That's not fun. That's not a real relationship. That's that's how we treat God when we come up with, well, I did this. 
What else does he want? And it just breaks God's heart. And so now in this new covenant, Jesus is going to take care of it. So this will not happen anymore. Um, when, it, when we opened up and we said that Jesus is the guarantor of this new covenant built on better promises, um, that's kind of like um, if you're like a mediator or a lawyer or you're going to be the one that says, look, there are two groups of people. There's God who's holy and the people that want to live with God, want to be in a relationship with God who are not holy. And so like we read in Exodus, the people said, we will keep that, we will keep the covenant. And God says, okay. And guess what? They don't. Well, the guarantor, he guaranteed this would happen. So what does he have to do? He has to pay the price for the people who didn't do it. So Jesus himself, when it says he's a guarantor, that means he himself paid the blood to cover what the people could not do. So this is a lot. (laughs) It's a lot and it's just amazing. But let's just try to to see, kind of wrap this up and see when Jesus did this, he made the covenant work by dying. He did what they and we cannot do. We do have the bells and whistles. They're just internal ones. So what are the benefits of this new covenant and what Jesus did that the old covenant can never do? Well, first of all, we have a better heart. Um, the, we have the law written on our heart. We, we want to do what he wants us to do. We're pricked by, oh, I was being angry in my heart, things like that. The, those good just corrections that our conscience says, that's not what God says. Instead of stifling those and trying to push them aside, recognize them as the law is on your heart, is guiding you. It's, it's impressing upon you the way to walk. Uh, there's a psalm that says, Enlarge my heart so that I may run the path of your commands. Make my heart stronger so I can do it. And I want to do it. Also, it gives us a better relationship because the Holy Spirit now can indwell us. Jesus told His people, Look, I'm leaving so my Spirit can come. And He lives in us and dwells in us. So what a much better relationship. And God keeps that promise of Emmanuel, God with us in the most intimate of ways. And there's a peace and a confidence in this relationship because it's forever. It was so paid and there's an intimacy here that you cannot fake. You cannot fake this kind of intimacy. God's sheep hear His voice. Do you hear His voice? And it's access like they could never, ever enjoy before. Before, you know, a girl like me couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. First of all, I'd have to be a male Levite. I mean, I did not have access. I had to depend on other people doing that for me. Now, when I sin, I can go straight to God and say, I am so sorry, knowing that that's been paid for. So I can talk to God. I can run up like the three-year-old to the king in the throne room and go, Daddy, Daddy, did you see what I drew today? I mean, no one else can do that to the king but the three-year-old prince, okay? That's what we've got is access we also have a better understanding. I can learn from my, myself. Um, Joel 2, 28 and 29 says, The old and young alike will know me. There's not a hierarchy of the special people really know God. 
Psalm 119 verses 33 and 34 says, Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. This is possible. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. Now, sure, some of this stuff, it makes my brain feel like mush because I can't quite get it. I can't quite grasp it. But you're going to know God. You're going to know Him. Do you know how many of us would fall on our face just to go get a picture of somebody famous? Can you imagine that when you wake up and talk to God, you are talking to the God that made that sunrise? The God that holds everything in His hand? The God who is more powerful than most powerful government? I think we've lost that amazement um, that we have this understanding and we have a much better forgiveness. Oh my goodness, the permanence of our forgiveness, the, the fact that it's guaranteed. I mean, the fact that they had to do these repetitive sacrifices all the time. There were sacrifices. You didn't just go and go, phew, I want to do that again. No, it was constant because it was kind of like you still sin. You still sin. And with Jesus' sacrifice, it's paid. As far as God is concerned, you are clean and in the clear. So you have this permanent sense of assurance and you have a much better future a much better hope that you have been paid for there is Christ himself has you on his heart in the throne room of heaven that in the present you belong there you belong going to God you belong with his people you belong you are not a faker (laughs) you're not an imposter because Jesus himself says I paid for her she belongs to me. So don't add to this. this. There's nothing better than this. This is the most amazing of all religions and uh, salvations. That God himself has done all this for you. Let's pray. Lord, we're amazed. We're amazed and thankful. And I pray that each woman here, especially when she sees those sins that maybe no one else knows of, that she will see them cleared out. That debt cleared because your son himself took care of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.